This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hey, I'm Roberta Blevins, and this is Life After MLM, a podcast where we work to end the stigma of failure in an industry systemically designed for you to fail. Join us as we dive into the real-life stories of survivors, experts, and advocates as we debunk the common myths and fallacies of cults, frauds, scams, and multi-level marketing. Join us all month for cult stories, education, and experiences. Don't be culty, huns. Hey, Hunbots and Hunbros, we have another Scientology episode today. And before I talk about that, I want to uh, let everybody know that yes, I have seen the Twin Flame documentaries. Yes, there are two. There's one on Amazon and there's one on Netflix. I've seen both of them. We actually did a streaming party back in September for the Amazon one on the Patreon. And there is now a Monday morning chat on the Patreon as well about Twin Flame, where Michelle and I do a little bit of a deep dive into the Twin Flame Facebook group that we joined back in September. (laughs) And I am also looking to talk to some survivors and do some episodes on it as well. So yes, I am aware and I'm working on it. (laughs) I got so many messages, emails, texts, DMs, comments. Have you seen Twin Flame? Have you seen Twin Flame? Yes, I have seen Twin Flame. Thank you. You guys are great. But yes, you can stop asking. I can confirm I have seen it. So this episode is with Liz Ferris, who was a second generation Scientologist, and she has a really incredible and shocking story that I think if you're interested in Scientology, you are not going to want to miss. But I have to let you know that it comes with very severe content warnings. Liz grew up in a very abusive household, and so she does talk about that abuse. She does describe some of the abuse. Um, We also talk about some starvation diets that she was put on while she was in Scientology, um, some sexual assault that she went through, and some suicidal thoughts and actions. And so if those are triggering topics, I just want you to use caution. It is still an episode of Life After MLM, so we do laugh through a lot of the trauma. So in between the really heavy stuff, we are telling jokes. And while we do talk about those heavy topics, there isn't a lot of focus on them. They just are mentioned several times. So I wanted to let you know before you get too deep into this that we will talk about those sort of things. I also want to welcome Lee Ting Sudano to the Patreon. I mentioned the Monday morning Twin Flames chat that I had with Michelle. That's one of the things that we do on Patreon for all the paid members every single Monday morning, nine o'clock Pacific Standard Time, my time. I go live for about an hour. We have a conversation. We talk about current events, different MLMs or cults that are in the news, new documentaries. Sometimes we do little mini dives into different scams that come up. And sometimes we have special guests. I'm also going to be adding at least once a month for the top tier members, a live AMA chat with different guests and friends of the podcast. The chats will come up later, but top tier members will be able to ask questions, join the AMA and hang out while we're all live. If you'd like to join the Patreon, our tiers start at $5. Enjoy this episode. Liz is hilarious and she credits her time in Scientology and the trauma that she endured there for that sense of humor. So please laugh along with us. Enjoy. Welcome back to another episode of Life After MLM. We are continuing on our Scientology journey today with a topic I think that isn't talked about nearly enough and the person who's online talking about it. And we're going to tell their story today. And I am so excited to welcome to the show, 
Liz Ferris. How are you doing? Hi, everybody. I'm good. Awesome. Got a little neuralgia acting up, but other than that, it's exciting. We're getting a story out. Yeah, we're going to get your story out and we're going to jump right into it. You were born into Scientology, so we're going to start right there. Let's talk about your early life being a Scientologist. My first memory, as weird as it's going to sound, a lot of people have these weird memories where they're like, oh, I remember hugging my grandma. I remember this. My first memory is sneaking past security, waiting for another security guard to come out of the the specific door that I knew my mom was behind. And then I would time it so that way they wouldn't hear the door shut and I'd sneak in so I can go see my mom. That is my earliest memory. Wow. I didn't have those memories that were like, oh, Christmas morning, we woke up. No, (laughs) we didn't have that. We were lucky if we got to see our parents. That was considered lucky. I grew up in the Pack Base area, and that's where the blue buildings are in Los Angeles. Okay. So it's the, you know, little Los Angeles hub for Scientology. We were basically, if you've ever read the book, Lord of the Flies, it was pretty much that. You had the quiet group that was just off doing things all over Los Angeles, you know, and this is six years old. Like this is my earliest memories are between the ages of three and six. My mom swears that I was three years old when I snuck through the door. We all got to eat in the cafeteria. We ate breakfast. I don't remember eating lunch and I rarely remember eating dinner. Like that sounds weird. I should remember eating dinner, but I don't remember eating dinner, but I definitely remember eating breakfast. And that's why I don't like scrambled eggs to this day. Nope. No, I'm good. I don't like honey unless I'm putting it in my barbecue sauce because I like to barbecue. Nope. Because that's honey was all we got to put on pancakes or French toast, anything. We did not have maple syrup. Wow. So I personally did not go to school for many years. I finally went to a school. My mom told me that it was Delphi Academy, which is one of the big Scientology schools. But a friend of mine walked the campus the other, like a couple of weeks ago, actually. I'm like, man, none of that looks familiar. Like, none of that looks familiar. I think my mom was wrong. I did not go to that school. But then again, my memory is kind of, I remember the bad stuff. I remember being hit so many times that I my jaw broke. I remember my ocular socket being broken so many times that I had like this giant pair of bug glasses. And because both of my ocular sockets kept getting broken. And so I lived in sunglasses. Because, you know, as you can tell, one cheekbone is actually higher than the other. And that's because it got broken so badly. Oh, my God. My jaw has been broken a lot. The best way I can explain it is, you know, I've broken almost every bone in my body. Oh, my God. You know, I think I have a toe or two that's never been broken. That is just heartbreaking to hear that. The worst part is you get used to it. That's the worst part is you start to get used to it. Like, this is my life. And... No matter if I was doing good, no matter if I was doing bad, it I'll give you a reason to cry was like the main sentence, like get your TRs in, which is basically almost like taking it like an adult. They think of children as adults and little bodies. You know, you're just supposed to take it and not say a thing. But if you don't say a thing, they get the attacks get worse. Then they go harder. So that way they can try to get you to make a sound. Wow. You know, I had a Nana outside. Now, my Nana was my mother's grandmother, so she was technically my great-grandmother. But this woman, she taught me, this too shall pass. She taught me how to love, so I at least had her. My mom left the Sea Org shortly after she got caught hitting me in, in Florida. For the first time ever, it was like they were finally paying attention to what was going on with me. But no, not really. Nobody called the police. You know, I got the tar kicked out of me in front of people and nobody called the police. They just said, he's a naughty person. We're going to send you back to L.A. (laughs) And so that's just what they did. They sent her back to L.A. Never informed the police, never informed child services, nothing. Oh, my God. What a traumatic childhood. Oh, my God, Liz, I am so sorry. And I get where you're coming from. For me, it's like, this is all I know. Yeah. And so the one promise that I made myself is that I would not, I would be better then. I was never going to hit anybody. I was never going to, if I ever had kids, I was going to show them what real love was. I was going to be the complete polar opposite of what I grew up with. I try to do that because holding on to the pain of what happened 
makes it so I can't talk about it. And so when I let it go, I can talk about it because it's like, I can't change what happened, but I can change how I react to it. And it, it sounds really hard, but that's the only option I have is just change how I react to it. Yeah. Wow. Unfortunately, because of how I grew up, I'm very hot headed. So I will tell myself to go on walks many of times, like have a private conversation with myself, like, like, bitch, you need to go for a walk. You're about to lose <laughs> your shit. But it's, it's a part of our lives. Like, wow. And some people had a better, like better experience than I did. And it hurts when you hear that they had a better experience. Like it wasn't that bad for them. Because for me, it's like, I didn't envision it being any worse. And so the idea that there were people that had it so much better, didn't have the abuse, didn't have the hungry, didn't have other adults beating the shit out of me, as well as my mom. It just came down to, I'm so glad you guys had that experience, but you can kick fucking rocks, you know? Because when my mom left the Sea Org, she sent me away when I was nine. I believe I had just turned 10 when my mom came back up. Now, that time period, that was about like six months from the time she sent me up till the time I actually got to see her again or talk to her again. The worst part of that situation is I thought my mom was dead because it had been six months since I talked to her. I couldn't get her on the phone. Nobody would tell me what was going on. And I really thought my mom was dead and I was going to be forced to live with her mom for the rest of my life. And her mom was no Georgia peach. She wasn't physically abusive, but she was, man, she, she was the queen at emotional. I can't tell you how many times I got told I was fat and I was never going to find a husband. And there's so much of me that wants to go to my grandma's grave and be like, I don't want a husband. I'm gay. <laughs> me, je suis homosexual. Roll over. <laughs> you know? Oh my gosh. It doesn't solve anything, but. You have a really good sense of humor. That's the good side of it. Because you have to. Yeah. I had a therapist tell me once that the reason that I'm so funny is because I went through hell and back and I had the hand basket. <laughs> and so because I went to hell and back and I have the hand basket, I don't address fear the same as other people do. And I don't address trauma the same way other people do. I don't address it well because I can't change what happened, but I can try to make a joke. So it's not so bad on my heart. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. And then you get used to telling your story like this is how I grew up. This is what happened. I can't change it, but I can be better than what I had. And I can be a better person to other people than what I witnessed. Yeah. So let's talk about your teenage years where a lot of times in Scientology, especially those who are born into it and are of service to the church in their teenage years, they decide to join the Sea Org. So is that something that you decided to do as well? I did. I did. I signed that dumbass billionaire contract thinking, oh, I'm going to be here a billion years. <laughs> because of how we grow up, it's really looked at like you're saving the planet. Like you're doing the utmost good. Like if you join, this is you participating in helping save the world. Never mind if you take a step outside of this stupid crazy box, you're going to realize how does shuffling paper clear the planet? How does screaming at someone until they cry? clear the planet oh, or here let's give you a better one how does being a security guard and following someone around and not letting them leave how does that clear the planet and once you can take a step outside the box then you're like i grew up in a cult well well ain't that a bitch <laughs> once you can agree that that happened then it's it's not so hard to take and it it's just about getting past it through therapy yeah i'm a firm believer in therapy my therapist is amazing my psychiatrist, not so much, but my therapist, yes. <laughs> so what was life like as a teenager in the Sea Org? What were you doing? What were your tasks? So some of my tasks were I got put in charge of basically when you first come in, you're put on what's called the EPF. And it's like the, a project force. It's basically a group of people that have to go through specific courses and basically have to be the org's bitch for lack of better terms, because you're running upstairs, you're cleaning hotel rooms, you're cleaning the kitchen, you're cleaning the dining room, and you're doing it for free, like free. And so it's basically like slave labor when you first start and you're being screamed at constantly. But you think that as soon as you finish this, it's going to be so much better and you're never going to get screamed at again. Just kidding. You finish and you get screamed at by everybody. 
I originally went into the Manor Hotel and I was there for a little bit. And then something happened with the Hubbard Communication Office. It basically has one person in charge and that one person for the Manor Hotel, we did not get along. No idea why. I have no idea how I pissed her off. None whatsoever. But she screamed at me for three hours and had me to the point of like ready to swing at her. All I could tell myself is, no, this is where I want to be. Like, what's going on? Why are you screaming at me? Why are you not talking to me like a normal human being? And I got the senior has of CC Network, which is part of the Celebrity Center side, came walking in and said, you can't talk to people like that. She's no longer part of your team or your organization. She's now CC Network and you can kick rocks. And so I was like, holy shit. And the worst part is, is I remember this woman, this woman, the CC Network that saved me, not give her too much credit because I remember her from when I was a child, you know, and she was not a nice person. She worked underneath my mom, but like she was on the first floor and my mom was on the fourth floor. So she wasn't considered an executive, but wanted to be, you know, had that whole fascination with my mom where she either wanted to be her or she wanted to be like her. It became even worse of a nightmare because then you get told you're fat. Like you need to lose weight. Like I dropped total wise. I think I dropped like 60 something pounds. Did not look healthy. I was gaunt when I took off my clothes because I am built like a linebacker. Losing all that weight, I suddenly became gaunt. Like my neck, you could see every bone. My chest, if I took a deep breath in, you could see all of my ribs. I kept dieting so much because she kept putting me on diets. And when they put you on diet, this isn't choice. This isn't where you wake up one day and go, you know what? I'm going to listen to the diet today. No, this is you're going to do the diet. You're going to lose the weight. Or you could go to the RPF, which is the Rehabilitation Project Force. And it's basically hell on earth. And so I did it. I was on this stupid diet and I dropped a ridiculous amount of weight, treated people like garbage, yelled at someone if they didn't say sir to me because I was in an executive position because I let that go too many times. And then I got put in lower conditions for not allow, like basically I wanted everyone to call me Liz and they were to call me sir. And so I got in trouble for not demanding that they call me sir. They were my friends. I didn't feel that was necessary, but um, obviously to her, it, I was wrong. How long did you last in the Sea Org? Three and a half years is as much as I lasted. It got to the point where I was being put on decks every single time. I couldn't recruit my mom back into the Sea Org. I couldn't get my mom to agree to come back down to LA just to talk to anybody. I had called my dad, Bob, instead of standing up and saluting him. That got me in trouble. I didn't quit smoking fast enough. That got me in trouble. I wasn't losing weight fast enough. I got every time I turned around, there was another reason I was on decks. And when you're on decks, you're basically doing again manual labor. Nobody's to talk to you. Nobody's to people that you thought were your friends would just treat you like utter garbage, like throw down garbage in front of you and be like, don't forget to pick up your shit. And I'd be like, dude, I thought we were friends. Like I'm barely eating. I'm barely sleeping. When I am sleeping, I'm getting nightmares. And it got to a point where I had a nightmare. I had gotten raped when I was outside of the Sea Org. It wasn't really a solid year, but it was pretty close. Not going to go into too many details, but there, there was unequivocal proof that I had been raped. <laughs> and so in the process of that, I had had to watch this movie because it was starring one of the celebrities, John Travolta. And so it's called The General's Daughter. Like that movie made me relive my nightmares of rape every single night where you wake up and you suddenly have to check under the bed. You, you wake up, you hear a sound like, did they find me? Like, they, oh my God, I'm, I'm, I'm going to die. You're just reliving it. And finally, one night I got to a point where the nightmare was so bad. I got up and I grabbed the bed and I flipped it over. And I mean like a Hercules style flipped this bed over. <laughs> Because I couldn't take any more of the nightmares. Like I couldn't take being scared shitless every night, not knowing if I'm going to eat, not knowing how people are going to treat me today. Like they push you to want to die. They absolutely push you to want to die. So I ran as fast as my butt can take me because we were on the second floor is where they were watching me. And yes, watching me means they had a female sleeping in the room with me, but I had a male 
staring at me all night. <laughs> it was to be on 24 hour watch. Oh my God. And so the nightmare was so bad when he came in from the sound of flipping the bed, I took off down the hall and I ran as fast as I could to the stairs that go upstairs. And then I ran all the way to the roof. I took a deep breath. I went to the edge. I looked down. I was like, okay, mathematically, I'd have to swan dive to actually to guarantee death. So that way it's, it'll be easy. Like, don't make me a vegetable. Just take me. Did the calculations in my head, four feet. Okay. I weigh, you know, 132 pounds at the time doing the math on 120, 130 pounds. And I'm like, okay, so all I have to do is pretend like I'm at diving school and I just need to run and jump and I'm going to hit concrete. And then they stopped me from jumping off the roof. Do you ever wonder how much of your personal data is out there on the internet just for anyone to find? I promise it's more than you think. Your name, contact info, social security number, home address, even information about your family members. It's all being compiled by data brokers and openly sold online. This can lead to a lot of problems, including identity theft, phishing attempts, harassment, and unwanted spam calls. But now you can protect your privacy with Delete Me. Signing up for the service is super easy. Just provide Delete Me with exactly what information you want deleted, and their experts take it from there. They send you regular, personalized privacy reports showing what info they found, where they found it, and what they removed. I got my report, and I was floored with the results. Of the 105 data brokers they checked, 83 of them had my data. Delete Me then removed 173 listings of my personal data off the internet. And they make sure that it stays off too. Take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me at a special discount just for our listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash MLM and use promo code MLM at checkout. The only way to get the 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash MLM and enter code MLM at checkout. That's joindeleteme.com slash MLM code MLM. Head over to quince.com and grab yourself a little something something and support the show by supporting our sponsors. The weather's getting warmer, so it's time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and say hello to lightweight fabrics and classic styles. I have been taking advantage of the beautiful weather and getting outside for daily walks, and I cannot say enough good things about the Flow Knit High Rise Boyfriend Jogger from Quince. Seriously, running errands, doing school pickups, swinging by the farmer's market, or taking Jaja for a stroll around the lake, these bad boys are versatile. I love the deep pockets, the high waistband, and the internal hidden drawstring. They're quick drying, moisture wicking, antimicrobial, and the four-way stretch makes them so comfortable. They're made with 88% recycled polyester, and the Global Style Standard Certified Yarn dramatically lowers environmental impact by diverting landfill and ocean-bound plastic. Not to mention using recycled claim standard-approved dyeing, washing, and manufacturing processes with low water and eco-friendly dyes. They have become an absolute favorite, and you can save up to 59% off the high-end counterpart by shopping with Quince. Throw on a cotton modal scoop neck tee and some sneakers, and you've got a perfect effortless outfit. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash MLM for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash MLM to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash MLM. Now, before anyone goes into, see, they stopped you. They want you to live. No, they didn't want me to live. They wanted to continue with what they were doing, driving me more and more crazy to the point where death seems like a better option. They get off on having people feel like death is the only option because they don't make you feel like you can exit. They make you feel like if you exit, you're never going to see your family again. You're never going to be able to talk to your friends. You're never going to be able to be part of this new world once it's saved, like you're garbage. And then they just keep repeating it to you. So finally, it's like death is a better option. I'd rather drop my body and start over again because this sucks. And so after that happened, you'd having me dig ditches. Now, 
by digging a ditch, some people, when they first think, they think sprinklers. Um, the ditch we had to, well, at least I had to dig. I don't know if other people, I just know my experience. I was told that my body had to fit in the hole. And so I would constantly dig and dig and then I would lay down in the hole. And then it would feel like in those moments, why am I laying in this hole? Why does my body have to fit? Oh my God, am I going to die here? Are they going to bury me? Like, am I digging my, my grave? Like all these thoughts grow through your head when you've just not slept or you've barely had any food. And so it's like, you just rinse, recycle, repeat that you're going to die. I'm going to die. Nobody's going to tell my mom. They're going to tell my mom something stupid. Like I, like I did this to myself. No, you guys drove me to this. There's only so far you can push them. Wow. And so after a week of continuously pushing the security guard, and I have no problem naming his name. It's Mr. Richardson. I call him Mr. Richardson, not out of respect, but out of like, that should be on a, you know, wanted poster. Just look for Mr. Richardson. Cause you know, his wife was 14. He was 30. Let's do the math people. Oh, he also had no problem telling people that he had gotten her pregnant and forced her to have an abortion. Again, do the math people. She was 14 when they got married. Jesus Christ. I think he was 28 when they got married. So double her age. Because that's totally legal in the wonderful United States, everybody. That wife has since left the Sea Org, but that kind of shit happened daily. I knew I was gay. And so I didn't know how long it was going to be until I got caught. I just had to pretend to like people and just never settle down because I did know I was gay, unfortunately. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about your coming out story and how your family took that news. My mom's family took it very badly. Along the lines of, you know, your Nana would hate you if you really told her you were gay. Like, I'm just letting you know your Nana would be so disgusted with you. And that would break my heart. Like, it would just be like, cool. Thank you. I appreciate that. My mom took it like, are you sure? Like, it's not a phase. Maybe it's a phase. It could be a phase. Like, don't throw yourself into that group yet. Okay. (laughs) Look at me now. (laughs) My dad, he made that joke, you know, I told him and he's like, you know, only one gay person per family. And I thought it was hilarious. And so it kind of gave me this, this relief of hope that, you know, I'm going to eventually tell someone and they're just going to be like, I'm proud of you for saying that. I love you. And just leave it at that. No additional words. No, no kumbaya moments. Like, no, do we get to meet your girlfriend? No, it gave me hope. And so I continue talking to my friends. I continue to be in the gay lifestyle, you know, not participating in the the straight version of, sorry, for everybody that's straight, I just, I just don't know how you do it. You don't know how I do stuff. I don't know how you do stuff. <laughs> it's just one of those things where it was like, I, I'm my dad. I haven't talked to him in a couple weeks, maybe a couple months. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to call. Yeah, because I would call every couple months. And I call and she's like, your dad's dead. No, Bob's dead. It wasn't your dad. It was Bob's dead. I didn't know how. And I was just floored and she hung up. And I immediately called my mom and I was crying. And I'm like, you know, they just told me that he's dead. And, you know, and she's like, well, he wasn't really in your life. Remember, he chose Scientology over you. And I'm like, that's not what he did. It's not what he did. You know, he just wasn't the dad that everybody wanted him to be. He was the best version of that he could be knowing he was in a cult. So you just call up one day and you're like, I want to just say hi to my dad. Just, hey, dad. And they're like, Bob's dead. Like no explanation. Just Bob's dead. Click. No explanation. No nothing. It was just Bob's dead. And then hung up the phone. Now, my mom used to tell me, and I've now found out that this is a hunk of bullshit. My mom used to tell me that there are graves at Gold Base. Like maybe he's buried under a tree at gold because those are some of the things that are said. And I'm like, so that kind of gave me comfort. Like, okay, well, one day I'm going to go down to gold and I'm going to visit my dad's grave and I'm going to talk to my dad because I talked to my Nana. One day I'll visit there. So I had this impression that he was buried out there. Yeah. So there's a big, huge plot twist here with your story is that in 2004, when you called the office and asked to speak to your father and they hung up on you and told you that he had passed away without any details, 
you went 19 years? 19 years believing he was dead. My dad's alive. Just kidding on the dead thing. Whole 19 years. I grieved him. 19 years believing he was dead. I literally, I called my girlfriend at the time and I'm like, what's wrong with me? Am I broken? I can't seem to cry. And I just found out my dad died. And she's like, I'll be right there. And I'm sitting there and I'm staring at myself and I'm like, am I, oh my God, am I a sociopath? Like, why can't I cry? Like, this is my dad. Why am I not crying? Why am I not? I'm upset, but I'm, why am I not showing it? And I couldn't, like, it wasn't making any sense to me. And I really thought I was a sociopath because it didn't, you know, why am I not crying? My, my dad just died. Yeah. And then I grieved him my own way. And by grieving him my own way, I kept his pictures. I still have quite a few pictures of him and I, I look at him occasionally, you know, I still have a couple of his letters because he's my dad. Yeah. And then I get the phone call saying, Oh, you know, you're going to pay his freeloader debt and find out, Oh, by the way, he's alive. Right. Okay. So let's talk about that really quick. So like we said, 19 years go by, you grieve him in your own way over 19 years never knowing the truth, never knowing where he's buried to even visit him, never knowing what he died of, nothing. You have no information. Correct. Your mom's like, well, he chose Scientology, so you should just get over it kind of attitude. Yeah. Kind of like a deuces thing. Right. 19 years goes by and you get a phone call asking for you to pay his freeloader debt, which is something in Scientology. Yep. And they, they make threats in all different kinds of cults like this. We're like, oh, you're no longer a part of us. Well, let me tally up all the things we've done for you yeah. and all the things you got for free that you now owe us for. All the food that was shit. Let's not forget all the courses that you completed, all the courses you were ordered to do. And then we're going to add on a couple thousand more and just, just pump it up, pump up. And then before you know it, like when I left, I had, I think it was like a... Th- $35,000, I think. I'm not remembering like the exact number, but I remember like, this is a car, people. Like you didn't pay me and this is a car. But it's like the stuff that they're making you pay for is like abuse. They're like, oh, you're going to leave the abuse? Well, here's how much you owe us for the abuse. Yeah. It's just wild to even expect. It's not enforceable other than fear. But in our minds, it is because you have the threat of losing your family, your friends, everything. It could be your livelihood, right? You're going to lose everything if you do not do this. And so they get you. So you get this phone call and you're like, but my dad's dead. Like, why do I 19 years? Really? What kind of interest is on that freeloader debt? Right. Oh God. I remember thinking that. And then you learn the truth. Yeah. And then I learned the truth from Claire at the aftermath. And if anybody is a second gen listening and you want out, please contact the aftermath. They will help. But I reach out just to find out because I knew she was at gold at some point in time. I wasn't reaching out to her to see if she knew my dad, but I was seeing if they had changed the policy for collection because it wasn't making any sense to me. And then that's when she tells me he was alive in 2005 when I left. Say what? You know, and now I know. Now it's flickering this, this, I could get my dad back. Oh my God, I can have my dad. Like I have one parent that never hit me. I can have one parent that loves me. Yeah, I broke down. I turned into a blubbering mess and I started this journey to see him. I went with Vanessa LaRose to Gold and my partner and Jeffrey Augustine because Jeffrey was supposed to be there for my security and safety because I was scared that they were going to try to yank me in and suddenly I was going to be believing in Scientology again. That's a valid fear for us, unfortunately. It's it's a very valid fear. Absolutely. You torture anyone long enough and they'll believe that God farts out rainbows. It's how it works. Absolutely. And so we've now been on this mission since May to make face-to-face contact, to hear his voice, to do anything, to help anybody else out. If they need my help, I'm there. If they want to just hear our stories... I'm going to keep getting as loud as I possibly can. The louder and the bigger that my channel gets, the more chances that they're going to kick him out. Not just let me see him, but they will say, you can go, Bob Ferris. Your daughter's making too much noise. And so it's like the more I can grow the channel, like I think I'm like 140 away from a thousand subscribers on my channel. Um, We can get you there. Yeah. So it's, it's roughly like 140. 
Everybody go right now and follow her right now. Remember, it's on YouTube, please. <laughs> um, and then a hundred something hours away from the watch hours. Now people think I, I've been emailed like, are you trying to get monetized? Are you trying to make money off this? No, I really have a corporate job that I absolutely adore. And no, we won't go into detail on it, but I love my corporate job. But once you get to a monetization, what happens is you're eligible for commercials. Anybody that's liked a product, and let's say it's a commercial on Pepto-Bismol, and at some point in time, someone liked a Pepto-Bismol commercial, they can now see because of that liking of that channel, it puts you onto a different algorithm. Once you're on the algorithm, you get more people to see you and more people. And that gets out that he's stuck in a cult, that I grew up in a cult, that my mom was part of the cult. And then they covered up me being beaten almost to death on a regular basis. That's just who they are. If you don't get there in time for food, you're not getting any. They don't make you a sandwich because you're late. You're not getting any. That was normal. As stupid as it sounds, because people, I'm sure people are listening right now and they're like, but I can walk to my fridge and go get something out. We didn't have that. We could not walk to a fridge. We would have gotten into so much trouble if we crossed certain lines that were considered post. And a post means like the position you hold in the cult. I don't want to give it the, the fame of calling it a religion, uh, but in the cult. The hierarchy. Yeah, it's this hierarchy. But they look at it almost like you think of the, the food pyramid. <laughs> so you've got like the five different levels of food. Well, it's just like that in the Sea Org. But you have the top echelon, that little tippy top. Those are the people at RTC. And then go down, you have the organizations. And each organization has their own pyramid. And so is it a pyramid scheme? No, I'm just trying to explain that they try to position it like it's a military post. They run it very military-ish. Yeah. Except, you know, they got food. Yeah. So I'm really curious what happened when you and your crew showed up at Gold Base. Uh, I took some anxiety pills, which is a big no-no in uh, psychology. But uh, from a 1 to 10 scale, I was at a 38 because I walked up to the gate. Everything seemed fine. Like I wasn't going there with hostility. I was going there with the assumption, like, this is my partner. This is my peer support. You know, this is my security just so nothing happens. My name is Elizabeth Ferris. I'm Robert Ferris's daughter. I would really like to see my father. Dead air silence. Like for the next four hours, we get dead air silence. think about two hours of pacing and hoping for something. A white cargo van pulls up. Like think of Scandia or like one of those mini golf courses where they have that before you enter the golf arena, you've got that booth you've got to pay for. Same concept there. Before you can enter in, you've got this little booth you have to go through. And then there's a like a down a road that goes down. You hang a left and there's a little 10 space parking area but then you keep going and then there's like everybody's houses are right there. So on the opposite end is houses. Well, birthings, because let's be realistic. They're living in cots. And so they pull up. My anxiety is going through the roof. Do another welfare check, but we're going to do a welfare check while I'm standing there. So I'm like, yeah, we call in. Yeah, my name's Elizabeth Ferris. Bob Ferris is my father. I'm his daughter. And I would really like you to come and do a welfare check on my dad. Like an hour passes by, maybe an hour and a half. And then all of a sudden we get a call from the police. Um, I talked to your father. He doesn't know anything about having a daughter. What? What? And then the next sentence is, oh, I'm sorry, an illegitimate daughter. Cause he doesn't, he didn't know you existed. Excuse me. He was at my birth. I have pictures. I look like him, like spitting image, blue eyes, blonde hair, like the full on works. The same pigment I have in my skin. And you had a conversation when you were 24. Right? I have pictures and I have letters. And so I tell the police officer, I'm like, look, I have pictures and I have letters. He was at my birth. That's stupid. And then all of a sudden the cop's like, well, he's saying you're an illegitimate child. 
that sentence wrecked me. Like I'm doing all of this. I'm dropping everything. And now I'm an illegitimate child. So I'm trying not to cry. I've got my, my beautiful partner saying, okay, don't let them win. Don't let them win. And she's just whispering it. And I'm holding back and fighting the tears. You know, when you've got that, you know, your jaws shaking, your, your teeth start clenching. And I'm just sitting there like, oh my God, like that fucking hurt. Like you're a dick. Then the cop says, you know, I did offer him the option of doing a TRO. He says he's not ready to do a TRO unless this continues. And so Jeffrey was like, okay, it's okay. We're going to leave. And I'm sitting there like, no, this is, how do you know it was him? You only talked to him on the phone. You didn't even come here. Oh, he sounds old. He sounds old. Give me a break. Excuse me? Like, that's what I got. And we have it on a recording. He sounds old because he is the only old person in Gilman Hot Springs. <laughs> the only one. And you can totally see what a person looks like over the phone. Scientology. Like, Scientology, do you realize how ridiculous you are? Like, you are so ridiculous. And each moment that you're more ridiculous than the next brings you closer to the whole rest of the world realizing it too. Right. This is asinine. Mind-blowing. Yes. It's asinine and mind-blowing that this shit's still happening today. It's, you would think that this is the 20s, but it's not. It's not 1920. It's 2020. Like, how is this stuff still legal? How does this stuff still continue? We call our Uber and they come and pick us up. I'm so emotional at this point. We get back and Jeffrey wants to grab something to eat. I don't want to eat. I'm not hungry. I want to go to bed. I want to, I want to take a nap. I want to go night night because right now I'm hurting really badly and I'm about to cry. And so we ate something because I, you know, my partner was basically like, no, you're going to eat. <laughs> yeah. That's what you're going to do now. You're, you're going to eat. So we went and ate and um, I got a little paranoid because a car had followed us the whole way there. Turns out it was not a Scientology, but it didn't matter. They had literally been on our ass to the restaurant that we ate at. And so I went outside and I took pictures like, not today, Satan. (laughs) And then it turned out that they weren't even following us. They just happened to be going to the same restaurant. And I was like, man, I feel really bad. I called him Satan. (laughs) Yikes. But then as soon as we ate, I literally fell asleep for two hours. Like just, I guess we were all talking and then I just fell asleep. My partner basically said that you've been asleep this whole time and, you know, do you need to take a nap? And I was like, no, I just need to, I just need to get high. (laughs) And it's legal here in California. And I have this stupid thing called the suicide disease. I told you it's called trigeminal neuralgia, but it is really called the suicide disease. That's what doctors call it. Wow. And you know, the saddest part about this whole story is that you're not the only one that has this story? No. That there are other people, Scientologists or not, who have families and family members that are stuck in this cult, that they're told, oh, they're dead, stop calling. Mm-hmm. We're going to get a restraining order against you. Yep. We're going to tell the cops about you. We're going to stalk you. We're going to chase you. We're going to follow you around. Your person's dead. Leave us alone. You're not the only one. There's what is called second generation. That means that they were born into Scientology. You have second and you have third generation. There could be fourth, but I haven't met anybody with a fourth generation. So you have the first generation, second generations. We're a lot of second gens. Most of us have all joined the Sea Org and been kicked out and declared. Do I know if I'm declared? I have no idea. I'm pretty sure I am now, but I don't know what lies they're telling him to make him think that it's okay to do this to his child. Yeah. To do this to his brothers and sisters. Cause he's one of seven kids, one of seven, four girls, three boys, one of seven. And his family all thinks he's dead. I've told them what I believe is the truth, but until they can see it, touch it, taste it, feel it, they're not willing to stick their necks out there because they just don't believe that if he's alive, that he's coming out. It's just so heartbreaking. So what are some of the resources aside from the aftermath foundation? of a second gen listening to this or even a third gen. The the resources basically this is I'm announcing my story on YouTube because I wanted it to be in my words. I wanted it to be how I feel, not how someone was expecting me to feel. The best thing that we can do is make the biggest noise because the bigger the noise, the more they don't want this person. They become a liability. Yes, it helped me get my dad out. But there's also other people in there. So I'm not stopping until everyone in there has the option of staying or going. 
without fear of losing anything. Some of them have been in there for like my father's been in there for 40 years, like 40 years. That's longer than most the average American will work in one lifetime. He's been in there for 40 years. And so it's time that the elderly got to come out, got to retire, got to live good, healthy lives. You want to journal? You want to watch movies for the rest of your life? What streaming do you want to do? Here, let me show you what streaming is. And then I'm going to show you a smartphone. They don't make, you know, those 1950s cassette players anymore. So I can show you how to stream music because they don't know all these things like cell phones. Like I'm sure they have a phone made, one of those flip phones made by Jesus because uh, some of the people in there get phones, but I'm pretty sure it's a flip phone made by Jesus. So they don't go on the internet because they don't want to see our names. You know, Laura, her mom is in there. So, you know, be aware now that you're doing this on Scientology, say hi, Laura's mom. Hi, Osa. <laughs> hi. Because that's that's what you're gonna you're gonna get as your thank you for joining us. So what is a message that you would like to give? Like say someone in, say your dad, say someone is listening to this podcast. What do you want to say to them? I miss you. I love you. Please come out so I can explain to you what my life has been like my whole life so you can know what they did to your child and i would keep telling him i love him and don't lie to your family just because you don't have to believe the same things that i do but i'm here i'm here and i match your dna and quit telling people that you don't know who the hell i am because i'm i'm gonna let my mom kick your ass if you keep pissing her off and you know that my mom knows how to do that shit so yeah oh man wow yeah, because my mom was, was losing her shit when she found out that he said I was an illegitimate child. She can take a lot of things, but telling her that she was never married when she has the wedding pictures. <laughs> when it was done at our my grandma's house. Yeah. Okay. It's wild. So for everybody who wants to learn more of your story, follow along with you and go on this journey because I really have hope with the movement. Mm -hmm. of the Aftermath Foundation and SPTV and everybody who's doing all this work. I have so much hope for the future and for these generations to actually get to tell their stories and get out of this. So for all of us who want to follow along, where can we find you? Mm -hmm. I am on YouTube at Pokemon. That's right, because I love me some Pokemon. So it's Pokemon and Cults. The P and the C, there's a, a double entendre there because PC in Scientology meant pre-clear. And here I, here I am, Pokemon and cults. That's what PC means. There's no such thing as pre-clear. It means Pokemon and cults. So keep saying the PC every time you think of me. Oh, man. I'm going to think Pokemon and cults next time I hear that for sure. Right? At the end of my conversations, we do like a rapid fire question. Are you ready? Give me one word that encompasses how you feel about Scientology. Vomit. <laughs> Give me a warning to somebody who's thinking about joining Scientology. It's not real. You can feel good about yourself by just writing in a journal. The idea that these people are going to save you. They just want your money. They want you away from your family. They just want every dime they can milk out of you. And then they want your soul. It's not real. And please don't give it a chance to destroy your family. It's worse than a drug. I know you have a lot of really tough and traumatic memories from Scientology. Like what is one of the worst memories that you have when I say, what's the worst memory you have? What comes to mind? The worst memory. Um, I don't really know the whole thing that started it, but when we first got sent out to Florida, my mom became the LRH communicator in Florida. And that was supposed to be a big, super important post, but we had with this other mother and daughter. And so it was our third night there. And my mom got mad at me for not going to get her a Coke or something. It was something stupid because I'd walked to the store with these other kids and I forgot to grab her something. I was eight years old. My bad. But she kicked the living crap out of me. She punched me in the, my back so hard that I kept hearing these pops. And it wasn't like, it wasn't like the stretching pops. It was like, and it, I couldn't understand what that was. And the pain was so bad and the lady just kept her mouth, didn't say anything that first time. And I tried to go to bed, but no matter how I laid down, I couldn't breathe. 
Like I literally thought I was, I felt like I almost like I was drowning. It was just my whole rib cage was completely black and blue. The next day, half of my chest was black and blue, even though she didn't hit me in the front, she hit me in the back, but my, the front end was covered in bruises. Yeah. That day I, I thought I was going to die. I was going to drown in my sleep for some reason. Oh my God. What is the hardest lesson that you learned while you were in Scientology? That parents will never choose you. That's heartbreaking. And Liz, we're going to end it on a positive if we can find one and give me a positive time or a positive takeaway from your time in Scientology. I don't have a lot of positives while I was in there. I mean, I got to meet, I guess people can say, oh, it's so nice. You got to meet the celebrities. No, I don't care. Um, for me, it was when I woke up. I still believed in Scientology at 40 years old. I believed that the tech worked. I didn't want to join the Org, but I still thought I was a Scientologist. So my happiest memory is when my partner got me to watch the Leah Remini show and she sat right next to me through every single episode until, and she would ask me, are you okay? Do you want to go on to the next one or do you want to save it for another day? And I was like, just keep going, just keep going. And we sat out there and we just back to back to back. I barely, I think I slept like maybe five or six hours a night. And then I wanted to go back to the Leah Remini show because so many of these people's stories were just like mine. So that's my happiest memory, but it's not, besides a koala hug, you know, um, that's my happiest memory while being Scientologist. Wow. Leah has helped so many people. I don't even think she understands the impact that she's had in the cult space, not just Scientology, but she just really, she really started something, didn't she? Yeah. She created a movement that said, it's okay to be loved. It's okay to be free. And it's okay to ask questions. And it's not okay to be treated like garbage. It's not that difficult. I, I wholeheartedly believe in the message of we're all human. I say it every podcast. I'm like, you know what? Be nice to everyone in the comments because remember, we are all human. We all bleed the same color. Absolutely. Thank you, Liz, so much for being vulnerable, for sharing some really, really hard, traumatizing things. And thank you so much for telling us your story and your words. And thank you for helping me get my story out about my dad, you know? Again, it's the more people, the better, because I'm pretty loud. I guess I'm pretty funny too, but you know, I'm, I'd consider myself more loud than funny. I love it. Thank you so much for listening to Life After MLM. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and share. And follow us on social media at Life After MLM Podcast or visit our website at lifeaftermlmpod.com. You can find all of the links to follow in our show notes. Life After MLM is produced by Roberta Blevins. Audio editing is done by the lovely Kayla Craven. Video editing by the indescribable RK Gold. And Michelle Carpenter is our triple emerald princess of robots. If you have a story about a cult, fraud, scam, or MLM and want to be on the show, please hit us up. We would love to help you tell your story and start your healing journey in life after MLM. See you next time, Hans. Hans.